0: You are listening to Win Win, a podcast brought to you by the global nonprofit Win, Women in Innovation. Each episode features inspiring innovators from the startup world, innovation consultancies, and Fortune 500 companies who share their innovation secrets and career trajectories every Monday. As for me, I'm your host, Zoya Kozikov, global marketing lead at Win by Night and product manager and university level faculty by day hello hello everyone and welcome back to the win-win podcast today is so much fun as i get to talk to the brilliant rosie corvo who is chief marketing officer at early warning early warning offers a suite of solutions for financial services and one you may know of is zelle the peer-to-peer payments network rosie is actually one of the women behind the product conception and creation and go-to-market And it's amazing to see the impact that she's made throughout her career. We talk about it a lot, but she has 30 plus years of experience in the financial services and banking industry. She's had multiple executive roles, whether that's at Bank of America or as chief risk officer at Barclays, and she's really, really knowledgeable. I'm sure most of you know, but Wynn is a volunteer organization. So my day job is actually in financial services, and so I had the best time nerding out and asking Rosie all of the questions that I grapple with as someone trying to innovate and build financial services products that actually make a difference and move the needle. It's also incredible to see how passionate Rosie is when it comes to gender equality and other ESG initiatives. Outside of her support for women in innovation, she supports nonprofits like Junior Achievement, Girls on the Run and March of Dimes. She's also been a mentor in UK's Lead Like a Woman Forum, and you'll hear that she has a lot in store in this space, and she's doing a lot for early warning and financial services, which is, of course, a notoriously male-dominated industry. I hope that you loved this episode as much as I loved recording it, and maybe, just maybe, you'll feel inspired to join me in getting more women in leadership and innovation, and of course, selfishly, more women in financial services. Enjoy! Hi, Rosie. Welcome to the Win-Win Podcast.
1: Hi, and thank you so much for having me. I truly appreciate the opportunity.
0: Me too. So today's conversation is beyond exciting already for me because... I work in product and financial services and so I grapple with many of the questions I'm going to ask. So really appreciate you being here for the audience and of course for me personally too. I know you have over three decades of experience in the industry overseeing corporate marketing, compliance, risk, mergers and acquisitions and business development. I'm sure that's not even an exhaustive list so I'll keep it simple there. But I guess my first question is why financial services and why retail banking?
1: Well, um, the truth be told that um, when I was younger, um, much younger, in fact, my parents, we grew up in England, but my parents were moving back to Ireland and I needed to take a job um, that would not require me to move with them because that was going to be a torturous event for a young person in their 20s who just wanted to... Remain with their friends and their social circles. So, um, I happened to apply for a job in financial services, and it just started from there. So, but it was really chosen, believe it or not, because I wanted to get at least four weeks paid holiday, <laughs> and I only wanted to work on Monday through Friday because I needed—I uh, really needed the weekend to um, party with my friends and have a great life. So,
0: <laughs> it was
1: all about. My prior, my personal priorities, <laughs> not have to move with my parents.
0: That's amazing. So then I guess I have to ask, why financial services still?
1: Oh, oh my goodness. Well, it, it almost feels like financial services has been the common area that I've worked in. But if you then look at the jobs that I've done, the beauty of it is that I've done all these jobs, uh, different jobs, and I would call myself more of a utility player um, at this point because I didn't really need to. I didn't need to move outside the industry because I took my first job opening uh, checking accounts and ended up learning a lot about statistics and predicting whether people were going to, you know, go bad or not on an account, and then. You take that learning and you just apply it to marketing and you say okay are people going to buy or not right so you you then go into business development or you can trip into compliance but i never needed to leave because there was just so much to do within financial services i felt like i was just doing a different job all the time i didn't feel like i needed to be anywhere else i guess
0: Yeah, I totally get that. And I also would say that as somebody, as an outsider to the industry, I've always felt like even the words financial services seemed so disconnected from the rest of the world. And I think that was the worst misconception I could have possibly had because now that I'm in this industry, there's so much work to be done, whether it's helping to get more money in the hands of women or figuring out risk and fraud and all these other things. And so I I can totally resonate with that sentiment. but. Today, you are CMO at Early Warning, which owns and created Zelle, the peer-to-peer payment platform. Early Warning is a suite of money movement solutions like identity risk solutions, account opening, and of course, authentication and peer-to-peer payment solutions like Zelle. So you joined the company right around 2012 when it was developing its mobile solutions. So how were you able to make the case for mobile banking and mobile banking solutions in 2012, and what was really the justice? around the innovation?
1: The way that early warning works is being owned by these seven largest banks in the US, we were very fortunate with this business model where it started out actually with making sure that when checks were paid, that I know this is a, probably a foreign word to many people your age, but <laughs> <laughs> when people wrote checks, we had to make sure that those checks were paid. And um, that they were good for the funds that were in the account because sometimes you could put a, a check into your account and then it would bounce. So, therefore, the solutions that we were creating. So, therefore, early warning then has this. So, with our ownership, we have these advisory boards and the advisory boards are great because they really give you this. You keep in touch with your market, you keep in touch with. What are the themes? What are people facing? And what I love about it is that, you know, you can imagine that these massive competitors come together in this moment and they say, we need to collaborate. And we need to solve industry-level solutions that no one institution can solve alone. So it's really fun that you know that you're doing something that has a much greater purpose and, and opportunity than just one one solving one issue, uh, perhaps a more minor issue. So when it came to mobile banking, what we recognized was that there was a great movement towards going from this paper-based banking into digital banking. And therefore, as the world changes, so does the opportunities to actually do banking. And we need to show up at every moment and ensure the safety and soundness of every transaction. So keeping an eye on where banking is going is literally the DNA of the company. And that's what keeps it exciting too.
0: It's it's really crazy because, you know, banking is seen as such a commodity by so many people. And so obviously all of these banks are each other's largest competition. Where do you think this was the tipping point of them saying, we actually have no choice but to collaborate?
1: So I do believe that there are moments, right? When Well, first of all, the company was born
0: over 30 years
1: ago. So they definitely had a moment a long time ago (laughs) that they said, we need to come together. We need to be one team when it comes to protecting the consumer. And this is kind of the untold story of the of the industry, because we're not a well-known, obviously, uh, consumer brand, we're not meant to be. Um, But from a B2B brand perspective, Early Warning has always been like this silent partner behind the scenes. And we bring together naturally this collaboration because our banks actually do know that they, they truly understand the benefit of being able to exchange their data when it comes to the good of the consumer, which in turn impacts the communities that we live in. So they had this recognition a long, long time ago. And then if you fast forward that to, okay, now banking's changed. Now we've got people exchanging cash. So the banking industry actually started a separate company called Clear Exchange and um, I believe that maybe in 2014, if I'm correct. Um, and what happened was there was a moment where they said let's let's accelerate um, this exchange of money and um, the CEOs of these owner banks got together and they said we're going to give you three things one we want you to create a real-time payment system we want you to give it a brand and we want you to make sure that ensure safety and soundness so, the banking industry got together yet again, and then said, "Okay, which company does it make sense to marry Clear Exchange with?" And they ended up marrying Early Warning because Early Warning was all about this foundation of safety and soundness. So if you want faster payments, you don't want faster fraud and people losing their money faster. So it was really a natural um, um, selection. It wasn't. We weren't. It wasn't just us. They actually had other opportunities, other companies to work with, but they chose us and. Rest is history.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and there's so much to dive into here. And I'm definitely going to ask you about 50 questions about the different elements of everything that you said. But I guess the first thing to go back to is really that early warning is a solution for banks. So it doesn't, you know, it doesn't have a banking license for those who don't know. And it's like you said, it's more of a provider, it's a B2B. Uh, business model. So how has that enabled innovations and, and what have the challenges been with being a quote-unquote outsider technically?
1: Well, we like to think of ourselves as the fintech of the banking industry that belongs to the banking industry. Mm. And we consider ourselves more partners than a vendor um, because we're in the thick of things with with them. So the company itself has benefited all these years by bringing together these diverse set of thoughts. What you have to, what what the secret is, is making sure that you're tackling something that truly has a major impact to a ton of banks, right? You can't just solve it because it's just for the big banks or it's just for the small banks. It's really got to be an industry-wide problem. So getting to that is often uh, in itself um, a lot of work. Um, because obviously banks have different levels of funding, which means they have different levels of ability to innovate and execute on their own. But when there's a logical time where we build it once and we apply it to everybody, that's when they obviously come to us. Now, having said that, I've made it sound so easy, but it's not. And <laughs> the reality of it is when you get a lot of strong, really intelligent people uh, with these strong personalities in a room together. Actually, the fun part about it for me is observing and facilitating or being part of the debate, right? And the beauty about, obviously, working in early warning with my background is I've already sat in their shoes a lot of the time. So I understand mm-hmm. them and I have lots of empathy for the different positions. So it, it works out pretty well. But it, it is it is definitely a challenge when you get you know the majority thinking one way and a few thinking the other way and then having to come to some ultimate decision but the way that you get there is by customer data so you literally do the right research and you let the customer or the consumer research really be the voice that of reason between all the opinions and that really is the secret Um, if you just do really good customer research.
0: I I mean, I couldn't agree more, but I do think it's so important to point out that you have one of the most impressive resumes in in this industry. And so I think, you know, walking in with that background and like you said, being able to say, I've sat in your shoes so I can challenge what you're saying, I think is a huge advantage. But I can imagine whether it's throughout those positions that you've taken on at various banks or now at Early Warning, uh, you were probably maybe the only woman in the room or one of the few. So... How have you grappled with that? Have you kind of called it out? Or what has your approach been being the different person in the room?
1: Well, obviously having a career that spans over three decades, I would say that in my early days, it was definitely more of an issue than it is today. Mm-hmm. And, and I would say that the beauty of it is that there's been this wonderful amount of emphasis and work on diversity. And even early on in my career, uh, when I was at Bank of America, I remember signing up and joining the diversity council, not really understanding what it was going to be about, but Mm -hmm. wanting to learn more and meet more people across the company. And just having a little bit of a passion about making sure that every voice is heard, because I love actually, I love to meet people from different countries, understand about their culture. I think it's just an amazing thing to hear different perspectives. I've always loved it. So I would say that the, the change in diversity, and I would also say what marketing taught me is that I can't please everybody. And um, if, you, if you learn that lesson as fast as you can, your life will be easier. And um, you realize that when you can't please everybody, therefore the truth has to speak through the data. And then coupled with the kind of industry changing with diversity, my attitude and the attitude of many people that I work with started to change pretty radically. And so to me, I I have, obviously I'm very conscious of it now of making sure that voices are heard and and I'll, I'll give you some examples of that. I try to make sure that I'm conscious of biases, even my own, right? So I, I like to think that I'm not biased, but by nature, we all are. Don't we all? Yeah. <laughs> yes. so, so if you just look at your feed, and if you're just, you know, listening to CNN versus Fox News, what, what is it, right? Are you, are you listening to the different perspectives? Mm-hmm. Or are you just listening to things that reaffirm your own perspective? And then we did some great um, training on diversity here at Early Warning. And the facilitator asked a very interesting question that I want you to name kind of the top five to 10 people that you trust that influence you the most in your life. And when you start to write those names down, are they like you? Or is your circle of those people that you trust and love actually a diverse set of people that will actually give you a different mindset
0: thinking about it, it, it right away you can see that you have biases that's crazy isn't it and
1: then and then the other thing that I I, I make sure I do um, and, and maybe <laughs> this is part age too is, is that uh, you're in a room right and you're you're watching all of the characters in, in the meeting and and I do find myself being very conscious of holding space for those that need to hear their voice. Like I I really love to hear from everybody. So if I have probably a person in the room that's more of an introvert, I will definitely stop and say, okay, I'd love to hear your opinion too. And so everybody's voice matters to me and that's a Mm -hmm. big thing. Um, So so I would say those are kind of some of the changes in our learning and um, what's happening around us I think can all help you know just make sure that you've got broader perspectives and the more you do that the richer the output is is what my experience has been
0: yeah you brought up a valid point also about the fact that it has gotten easier I can say that for me my manager is a woman the chief innovation officer of my company is a woman the CEO of my company company is a woman. And so when I look up on my own trajectory, I can see that there are people who look like me are at the top. But as you mentioned, when you started out, it was a little bit different, but you still managed to really work your way up without perhaps having that same leadership. So I guess my question is, how did you do it? And, and what value do you see in finding allies that are maybe men or very different than yourself in helping you get there?
1: For me, Um, I I would say it's probably part of my upbringing, right? When When you are brought up in a culture or a family, especially an Irish one, which I was brought up in, my mother and my father really placed little emphasis on what people had or what roles they had or what titles they have, but they placed a ton of emphasis on character. So when people came to our house, we would have a dialogue after about, their character, not not anything that they have, what car they drove away and what house they were going to, couldn't care less, right? That's pretty mm-hmm. much Irish culture. So I, I'm I'm assuming that that may have influenced me. As I walk into a room, I, I I'm truly looking for the character in the person. But now I'm I do not want to be dismissive because I think it's very important to always um, acknowledge everybody in the room. But I think that. For me personally, I was in it to win it, and I—it was kind of like I was a bulldozer, like I'd run it, i run at it, and if anybody came at me, I'd go at them back. It wasn't—I mm-hmm. <laughs> think my father always said to me, you know, Rosie, if you—if you don't want to get bullied, you need to—you're gonna have to smack the bully, right? So, yeah, definitely you have to have uh, a little bit of a, an edge when you need it, but I think showing up as your authentic self is most important. And I think managing, looking beyond the visual appearance of people and looking for their character is one of the most important things you can do in a meeting. Then you can figure out who am I gonna align with? And also, if you're the leader in the room and you're recognizing it, uh, make sure that you're, again, holding that space for those individuals that you know are gonna contribute, that they have something, but, but perhaps they're a little bit shy or they don't look like everybody else in the room.
0: (laughs) It comes with a little bit of risk, right? Of uh, the ability to say, especially if you're kicking back, but also the ability to go into a room and say, I don't think this is innovative enough or I don't think this is solving the needs of everyone, maybe just a select few and we can't stand behind that. And so I think switching over a little bit and, and considering risk, I know that you've been a chief risk officer in your career, and I don't think I'm sharing any secrets here when I say that innovation is very tough under regulatory constraints and governance within financial services, and it's, it's really tough to be agile. And so being both on the inside and on the outside, also being a, a chief risk officer in your career, how do you balance risk with innovation?
1: If you approach any type of innovation, I think that it is healthy and the right thing to do to always ask yourself, okay, what can go wrong and how do I mitigate that? And if you literally have this mindset that it's not a bad thing, it's not going to stop things, but actually it's just going to make you amazing, and you see it as such a benefit to apply this risk lens to things, it, it certainly was, I'm, I'm just going to say, from from me launching Zelle, having that background in risk was everything. And imagine the, the stress of this one, where you're you're responsible for launching a brand in an industry that hasn't launched a financial services brand in 40 years. It's although we're a private company, every piece of work that 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 goes out into the world, the whole world can see. So you really Mm -hmm. don't get to screw it up, right? So yes, every ounce of my risk management (laughs) came into play, (laughs) and there was a lot of testing and research, and you know, make sure that you test, read, roll before you just went. Really wide on the, on, on, on rolling things out. And I think honestly, it is, it just should be looked at as a, as a major benefit to an organization to have that mindset. And it's, it's kind of like you really ask, okay, this is my hypothesis. This is what I want to innovate on. And then I, what I love to do when I'm facilitating is actually have people say everything about something and and then you're not allowed to say anything negative. You're not allowed to ask a question. You got to hold it for a while and just keep innovating on this idea. And then you kind of switch the conversation. You say, now everybody tell me what can go wrong. But the other beauty in it is this is when everybody's told you what can go wrong, then it's everybody's, everybody's opportunity then to say, well, how are we going to mitigate against it? So asking those questions. I guarantee you you will have a much better product at the end of it.
0: Yeah, and I think the other the other part that makes it challenging is a lot of these institutions they aren't built digitally first. I mean, that's why FinTech exists. That's why Neo Banks exist, right? And so I think ultimately it's it's about connecting kind of the old institution thinking with a new institution thinking of faster, more efficient is good, but we also need to, like you said, mitigate the the increased risk and the increased fraud that may happen with that. And so I guess I wonder with Zell being its own brand and and its own product that you've built out, do you see Zell as a challenger brand?
1: I see Zelle as an opportunity more for us to accelerate the digitization of cash. That that's how I view it. I, I, I do yeah. think that there should always be healthy competition. I think people should always have choices. But what I what I love about the Zelle brand and the way it's grown up, uh, we often think about it as our child, actually. You have to name it. You have to give it colors. You have to give it values. Um, so I, I think what's what's beautiful about it is that it is actually a brand that's already in the banking app. And therefore, people can just, whether, whether you're older or younger, you can use it, right? So I see it as more of a convenience for people to be able to make their payments um, when they need it the most. And I love the fact that we... For the most part we don't charge for it right well we early warning obviously our bank partners i should say for the large part i don't see them charging um so people can get it and then they don't have to wait for it and that matters to an awful lot of people in life so i don't i, I see it more as a an opportunity to evolve this paper cash paper for checks i see it more as that opportunity to really accelerate um, what we've been talking about for probably many, many years, at least since I've been in banking, oh, cash is going to go away. Maybe, uh, maybe it's accelerating that
0: you brought up the competition and I think there's a few really interesting models of peer-to-peer payments. And, you know, one of them has a large element of socialization and Venmo is more of a social network oftentimes than I, I would argue than a peer-to-peer uh, payment uh, solution exclusively. Of course, it it has both. You have, as Zelle, the, the advantage of being integrated into those banks. Like you said, it, it comes with it. But as you think about the future of Zelle, Are you interested in exploring it as a more of like a standalone product or a social product? Or what is that next phase for Zelle that you are considering?
1: We um, here at Early Warning look at Zelle as a network. And if you look around the world, you'll see that many real-time payment networks start with this logical peer-to-peer of just paying each other. Um, When we launched Zelle, we also launched it with um, a disbursements arm. So this actually means that, um, let's say we're in a disaster um, and FEMA steps in, people need payments, but their mailboxes are gone. They generally have to find their way to some center where people meet up. They're handed envelopes and given cards that they could lose, I should say. So Zelle works with, um, like American Red Cross and where we can just disperse money directly into people's accounts. Then what's happened is Zelle's also, we look at how to pay bills faster when people need their bills paid. So think about Zelle as more of a real time payments network with all sorts of opportunities. So you pay your small business, owner, say a, a, a small business, we do that today where You know, if it's your dog walker or somebody that you, are or your landscaper or hairdresser, you want a tip. So Zelle definitely pays small business, pays bills, pays from a disbursements perspective. And it will continue to explore where do people really need this instantaneous payment capability to help them in their lives when they need it the most. Really meeting them where they need it the most. So we'll continue on that Uh, payments perspective, like just like the majority of um, big payments networks do.
0: So with that, I'd love the opportunity to ask you one last innovation question. And that is, where do you see yourself and your industry one month from now, one year from now and 10 years from now?
1: Whoa, whoa, whoa. So the industry, let's start with that. I don't think the industry is going to do anything in one month
0: because <laughs>
1: we already talked about that, right? <laughs> so um, one year from now, I think we will have to have done a lot more on um, ESG. I think there will be a lot more innovation around privacy and your digital identity. And I think that we will also have had to do a lot more innovation on the HR side, believe it or not. Um, So how are we working uh, these working models, uh, working from home, working in the office, hybrid models, and also how do we truly help individuals because of um, this this band of even more mental health issues. So how do we become better facilitators of dialogue as opposed to, Being, you know, having these um, divisive uh, worlds, right? We we've got to become better facilitators, better better at facilitating the dialogue and understanding each other than continuing to divide. So I think there's going to be a lot more work around those types of areas in innovation, and in the industry. In ten years, um, I think that there's going to be another wave of technology that we're going to have to tend with and think about us living in these multiverse worlds. And we are going to have to figure out how to show up yet again. Uh, whether that's on some crazy, you know, you walk into a video game, let's say you're walking physically into a video game and playing and you need to buy something or you're in your car and you need to buy something So payments are always going to be needed and identity verification is always going to be needed. So we're going to follow wherever that technology is going and making sure that we're, we're showing up there and, continuing to provide the safety and soundness within the industry. Me personally, uh, one month from now, I hope I'm doing exactly what I'm doing right now, which is uh, getting ready to do some exciting work on our next Zelle marketing campaign. Then uh, in one year from now, oh, I hope that I have done more on ESG for our company too. And then 10 years from now, I don't have a clue. I just... I've never really thought much beyond the year of my career, and it's just all worked out. So hopefully just doing something great and exciting again so that that will make a difference to the planet.
0: And, of course, a nod to your younger self, still only working Monday through Friday, so you can party on weekends, I hope.
1: (laughs) Because I haven't changed. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely.
0: (laughs) <laughs> well, thank you so, so much, Rosie. This has been so much fun and such a pleasure. And I appreciate you coming on today. Thanks for listening to Win Win, brought to you by Win, Women in Innovation, and myself, Zoya Cosmo. If you enjoy this podcast, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit WomenInInnovation.co to learn more about our organization, programming, and other opportunities. And remember, when women innovate, we all win.